So these aliens come to Earth on an advanced spaceship, and it's not like the movies where they're trying to kill all the human beings. No, these aliens are friendly. They're very intelligent creatures, and they want to establish harmonious relationship with the people of Earth. And they begin by having a big meeting where they gather together all the world leaders, not only political leaders, but cultural leaders and religious leaders as well. And the spokesperson for the aliens speaks this perfect English, and so the world leaders take turns asking questions about, about this, these visitors from another world. And it comes time for the Pope to ask a question, because the Pope is there, and the Pope asks the aliens, do you know about Jesus Christ? And the alien says, oh yes, we know him, and he is our Lord. He has he visited us before we can remember and has been returning every year to check and see how we're doing. And the Pope was a little bit disturbed by this. He said, he said well, Jesus visited us 2,000 years ago and we've been waiting since then for his return. So the alien offered maybe an explanation. He said, well, maybe he likes our chocolate more than yours. And the Pope said, chocolate? What does chocolate have to do with it? The alien said, well, when Jesus first visited us, we gave him our finest chocolate. What did you do to him when he first visited? <laughs> Advent is the beginning of a new church year. We know of it as a season preparing for the celebration of Christmas, which we remember Jesus' coming in history, coming in the flesh as the babe in Bethlehem. But it is also a season of preparing for Jesus' second coming at the end of history. And indeed, that is the focus of the Advent season at the beginning. It is the focus of our readings today. The message throughout the readings is to stay awake. Be prepared. The Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. Our first reading, Isaiah has a vision of the future. He sees the Lord's house established as the highest mountain. Now, if you've been to Israel, to Jerusalem, you'll see it's, it's on an elevation, it's on a hill, but it's not quite a high mountain. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a time when, when the faith of Israel will become preeminent across the world. He sees also, he says, he sees... Uh, People receiving instruction from Zion and the word of the Lord going from Jerusalem to all the nations and all the Gentiles streaming towards the Lord. And this is what happens as a result of Jesus' first coming. He establishes the church and Christianity spread throughout the world. No other religion has had such an important impact in the development of human civilization. Israel was this insignificant nation and through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, their covenant relationship with God, what God has revealed in the Old Covenant even, was spread throughout the earth. But Isaiah sees some other things as well. He describes uh, a time when God shall judge all the nations, and when, she, when he shall impose terms. And at that time, he says, swords shall be beat into plowshares. Right? So swords our weapons of war, plowshares, or farming instruments. He goes on to describe in that time, it will be a time of universal permanent peace, that nations will not even train for war, he says. Now, has that part of Isaiah's vision been fulfilled? 
No, not even close, right? And so as it is with many of the um, Old Testament prophets, they, they see these visions that combine different periods of time. They combine the coming of Christ and the age of the church and also the fulfillment of all things at the end of history with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says that when he comes again in glory, it's, people are going to be, many of them, sort of as oblivious to the impending end of the world as they were during the time of Noah when it came to their expectation of a flood. People, he said, were going about doing ordinary things, not expecting the coming flood, except for Noah and his family. Noah was open to the will of God, was able to hear the voice of God, and so he knew the flood was coming, and he knew what he had to do to save a remnant of humanity and to save the animals of the earth, so he builds the ark. And we've always seen the ark as an image of salvation in Christ. The ark as an image of a church, how we get into Christ through the waters, not of the flood, but the waters of baptism. In our second reading, Paul is writing to these, these new Christians who are still struggling with some of their old ways, ways of darkness and ways of death. And so he tells them to put off Throw off the works of darkness, orgies, drunkenness, promiscuity, lust, rivalry, and jealousy. He tells them, wake up. Don't live as people of the darkness. Live rather as people of the light. Now what Paul describes are clearly sins. They are works of darkness and death. Jesus, when he describes the people before the flood doesn't describe their sin. He actually describes them just doing naturally good things. Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But these things, though they are natural goods, are not sufficient in themselves to prepare one for the coming of the Lord. We need a supernatural perspective that comes from Christ. So we keep hearing again to stay awake or to wake up. About 10 years ago, a version of that word got introduced into our lexicon, woke. It was used to describe people who were very sensitive to uh, racial injustice and other social injustice. And of course, it's gotten also pejorative meaning um, of people who are extreme leftists and, and hypersensitive maybe to things. Um, but that sense of the idea is that kind of everyone else is kind of not seeing what's going on, but if you're woke, you see what's going on. Well, that actually is a Christian idea. <laughs> that we're awake because we can see things as they are, again, through the grace of God and from his perspective. So being ready for the coming of the Lord at an unexpected hour really means that we are to always be ready in the way that we conduct our lives so that at any time, Right? Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if Jesus were to show up, we wouldn't be embarrassed. We wouldn't be ashamed. Rather, we would be happy to see him. It means also that we are ready for our death, which we will come to us at an hour we do not know. And we aren't afraid because we know it means a joyful reunion with the Lord. 
And I also think it means to, uh, to be ready for these moments of crisis that call for heroic virtues, moments of being tested. And we're ready for those because throughout our lives, we are faithful in little things. Jesus says that if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. And a great example of this kind of readiness has to do with the sinking of the Titanic. You're all aware of the famous ship, right? It was traveling from England to the United States, the Atlantic Ocean. It hit an iceberg and it sunk and 1,500 people drowned in those cold, dark waters because there were not enough lifeboats. Now, why weren't there enough lifeboats? Well, because they didn't think the ship could, could sink. In fact, I think someone, I don't know if it was an engineer or someone, said not even God could sink this ship. Right? So that is pride. And because of their pride, they weren't prepared when the ship struck the iceberg. Except there was one man on that boat who was prepared for that. Indeed, he was prepared for anything. He was a Catholic priest named Father Thomas Biles. And he had been on the ship because he was going to America to preside at the wedding of his brother. So when the ship struck the icebergs and the alarms began to ring, guess what he was doing? He was praying. He was praying the breviary. It's a, it's a prayer that priests and religious pray, the psalms of the church. People started running and screaming in a panic, but not him. He was calm. He gathered as many people as he could together. He calmed them. He led them in an act of contrition. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he gave them absolution. He made sure that women and children were first put on the lifeboats. And when he was offered a place on the lifeboat, he refused, accepting certain death, so that he could remain with those others who also had, would, not, would not be able to get onto lifeboats and to help prepare them and the, before their meeting of the Lord. And there are witnesses that attest to all these things. And there are witnesses that, of course, they survived. They were on the lifeboats, who even as they were on the lifeboats, moving away from the ship to a safe distance, they recall seeing and hearing things uh, that, that re related to Father Thomas. They said that he was leading the people and praying a rosary. And as far as they could observe, everyone, whatever their religion, was praying the rosary with Father Thomas. He led them in a song, and it's a beautiful song if you ever want to look up the lyrics. Nearer my God to thee. Now earlier that day, Father Thomas celebrated Mass. It was a Sunday. And not just any Sunday, it was the octave of Easter, which we now call Divine Mercy Sunday. And those who attended that Mass remember the theme of his homily, which was, get this, the need for a spiritual lifeboat in the shape of prayer and the sacraments when in danger of spiritual shipwreck in times of temptation. As God was clearly preparing them through that message that he put in Father Thomas's heart. It's a good message for us. The idea of this lifeboat that saves us from shipwreck that is in the shape, he says, of prayer and the sacraments. So with all the busyness of this time before Christmas, the church is calling us to renew our commitment to prayer and the sacraments as preparation to meet the Lord. And one of the things we're offering at the church now is confessions every Wednesday and Friday at 5 p.m. And during Advent, there'll be two priests there to hear confessions, and there are 
their evening masses on Wednesdays and Fridays. It's always good during seasons like Advent and Lent to try to attend daily mass sometime during the week. We should be praying with longing for the presence of Jesus and for his salvation now and its fulfillment at the end of time. There is a prayer we say every week at the Mass, which I think is an appropriate Advent prayer. It's a prayer that the priest prays after the Our Father, called the embolism. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, and grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may always be free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ.